ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Relationships Rule Show. My name is Janice Porter, and my special guest this week is Scott Shute, coming to us from San Jose, California, I think. That's correct. Yeah, welcome Thanks for having to- me. You're very welcome, sunny California. Although you're in Northern California, so I guess you get a little bit of more um, of a break than I know. My sister lives in LA, and it's either super, super hot or just hot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In the wintertime, uh, we sometimes get rain, but this year has been really dry. Today yeah. it's a little rainy. Is it? Yeah, it is here too. So let me tell my audience a little bit about Scott, and then I'm going to dig right in with you, Scott. Scott, um, uh, Scott was the this is ironic for me because um, I teach LinkedIn um, as a trainer and I so wanted to ask you a whole bunch of questions about LinkedIn, which is not why we're here. So maybe (laughs) another place because Scott is the former head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn. Um, That is after creating that position for himself after being an executive uh, vice president with the company for several years as well. And that's what's so interesting. Scott is at the intersection of the workplace and ancient wisdom traditions. He blends his experience as a Silicon, Va- Silicon Valley executive with his lifelong practice and passion as a wisdom seeker and teacher. And in his most recent role at LinkedIn, he was the head of mindfulness and compassion programs. He has been a pioneer in creating workplace mindfulness programs and advancing the discussion around compassion in the work context. He's the author of the highly acclaimed book, which I just read and is fascinating, called The Full Body Yes. And I think that's just a short version of how talented and how accomplished you are. And I'm very um, grateful to have you spend time with us on the show. So thank you again. Thanks very much. Now I know we're, I know that you're um, that from reading your book that you even as a child in small town Kansas I think it was you were uh-huh. from yeah that um, that you had and recognized maybe not recognized as much but you had a spiritual side to you um, even back then and I before we get into the workplace piece I want to just run something by you. And that is something because I'm all about relationships and and the power of relationships. Um, Later on in your book, you talked about meeting the love of your life. And, um, and when you met her at a party, I think from your, your Texas friend, Bill, and I can, (laughs) that's right. Right. Um, that by the next week, I think you said that you you told your friends you were going to marry her, that you just that's right. And I want you to just talk about that, if you wouldn't <laughs> sharing that, because I think that so speaks to who you are. And well, there's sometimes when you just know and it goes back a little further when I was probably 18 or 19, maybe my freshman or sophomore year of college, 
I was hanging out one night on a Friday night with one of my friends who was a girl, not my girlfriend, yes. we were just buddies. Yes. And we were both complaining about our love lives, you know, and just griping about the lack of, you know, connection and whatnot. And I was, I kind of threw up my hands. I said, I don't think she's here. She's probably in India somewhere. <laughs> and, and she gave me this very strange look and we, I, I don't know where it came from. We just laughed, you know, <laughs> well, fast forward a few years, I'm, 24 ish, you know, first job out of school. And I go to this party from my, our mutual friend, B. Yill, yeah. which is two syllables in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. B. Yill, B. Yill. Oh. Uh, and uh, I met this By woman. By the way, it was from a Chinese descent, right? Oh, and oh, Asian. yeah, it gets better. Yeah. So B. Yill's, B. Yill's daddy was a cowboy. Uh-huh. And so Bill had this big accent and on the weekends he would wear a hat and the whole nine, he'd have the big belt buckle and the press jeans and the press <laughs> shirt. But Bill's mama was full Chinese <laughs> and he looked Asian. Like he looked hundred percent Asian. Yeah. And so it was like this strange movie of hearing him talk and then watching his face at the same time. He was a, yes, a good sir. friend, a good, he's a good dude. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at this party and I ended up meeting this woman and uh, I couldn't quite figure out where she was from. Turns out she was from India. You know, she moved to the States when she was younger, when she was 12. And, you know, that was on a Friday night. I ended up, we ended up having our first date on the next Tuesday. I made her dinner. We had another date on Thursday. We went to a movie. And then that Friday morning after the second date, I told my friend that I was going to marry her. Yeah. <laughs> and we ended, I ended up buying the ring eight weeks later you know, proposed three months after we met and got, we got, we met around February 1st and got married in August. So the whole thing was like six months. Uh, sometimes you just know, and that's, that's what I mean by the full body. Yes. When oh, you just know. know. That's so amazing. And how long have you been married now? Two, Almost two- 28 years. Yeah. See, that's amazing. And, and just curious, which I didn't think about before, was she, were her family, was her family in the United States? Yes. You, in that moment that I said it when I was 18, she was in the U.S., yeah. But were they traditional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were from India. Yeah, yeah so she, that would have she, been interesting. She was born in India and moved to the U.S. when she was 12. So did you have an Indian wedding and an American wedding? We did. We had awesome. one of each. Yeah. We, had a, we had a sunrise ceremony with our uh, close relatives, which coincided with my parents' 40th wedding anniversary oh, weekend. Yeah. We did that in Colorado and, right. and then went whitewater rafting in the afternoon. <laughs> and then we had a, a more traditional Indian wedding in That's New cool. Orleans. Um, yeah. You know, a tiny Indian wedding of, yeah. only three, of only 300 people. Oh my goodness. Yes, I get it. That's yeah. so funny. Well, I also find, and thank you for um, sharing that with me, because I just thought that was such a, a perfect story for the full body. Yes. Right. And um, the sub the subtitle of your book, The Full Body Yes, is change your work and your world from the inside out. And it's funny, you know, um, I kept wondering what it was about that subtitle that that I had heard before. And the only thing I I finally figured it out. There was there's a woman, I think she's out of New York and she's been a. Um, productivity um, expert and organizer, like closet organizer, home organizer for years. Her name is um, Morgan Stern. What's her first name? It's just gone from my head. Um, Anyway, uh, 
her business was called something like organizing from the inside out. And, and so um, that's where I had heard it before, but when it's organizing, when it's your, it's changing yourself and your, the way you look at work from the inside out, it's a little deeper than that. Sure. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Rumi who I quote a lot. He and Hafiz are my two favorite kind of poets. They're both kind of Persian masters and master poets from a long time ago. And so Rumi says, yesterday I was clever and I tried to change the world, but today I am wise and I'm working on changing myself. Yeah. So he was over 18. (laughs) 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 The second part, right? Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. It's so true. So, um, I have to ask you this too, as a, as a flashback as well, because you um, became an engineer, you went to university, you did the, right. You did the, the I got an engineering degree, at least I I never actually used it as an engineer, but I have the degree. And, and did that why? Because it was Uh, was supposed to take kind of, so I was good at math and science. I'm the youngest of five. And my oldest brother got an engineering degree and, you know, did well in life. And so this is just what you did if you were good good at math and science and your big brother did it. Um, For me, and I wanted to be, I wanted to follow this path since I was in second grade. I was always going to be an engineer. But then in my senior year of high school, I was the lead in our high school musical, which was The Music Man, which is now back. Yes. I was the lead. And it woke something up you know I had also kind of uh, I guess you could say had a spiritual awakening when I was about 13 and so in this moment then when I was 17 or 18 and trying to figure out what to do in life it felt like this t-junction like one path is black and one path is white and the black path is okay I'm going to get an engineering degree and work for a big company and like sell my soul to the man right Right? because in that time this was like the late 80s the movie Wall Street had come out If you remember this character, Gordon Gecko, and his theme was greed is good. Like this was my 18 year old brain on what, you know, the world of work was like. That seemed like one option. The other option was I was going to move to New York and be a singer or, you know, follow my bohemian bliss. (laughs) And it felt like black or white. Now, today, I'd say there's no such thing. It's just context. But in that moment, that's how it felt. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't decide. So I was in contemplation one day. And I was having a conversation with whatever you want to call it, the thing itself, the divine. And I was thinking, okay, I I don't know what to do. And I got what I call the full body. Yes. I got a knowingness, that deep knowingness, you know, exactly what to do. And it came with a message, like an intuition along with it. And that message was maybe you can change work from the inside out. Okay. Well, I'm 17 or 18. Like what, what am I supposed to do with that? So I get my engineering degree, I go into business, I go into sales, I go into customer service. You know, 30 years later, I'm at LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and I finally remember, I mean, I was trying this the whole time, but I was finally in a position that's like, oh, I can actually make a dent in this thing here. Like here, all of that wandering around in the desert, metaphorically about my career, I'm finally doing what I really am born to do. And that really did take you on a new path, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I started a journey. Well, I've, I was at LinkedIn for nine years and about two years into it, I realized what an open place. Like maybe this is a place where I could bring part of my practice because mm-hmm. I've been 
I've had a practice since I was 13. I've been teaching since I was in college, but it's never something I talked about at work. But at LinkedIn seemed really open, right? This is a place where the he CEO did. was talking about his own meditation practice. The teaching meditation? Is yes. That okay? yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Teaching, um, the CEO was talking about his own yes. meditation practice using wow. Headspace. And I finally got up the courage to, you know, well, first talk to my buddy who led wellness at the company and ask if we ever did anything with meditation. And, you know, we both got excited that I could actually lead something. And I got really excited. And I went back to my desk and I did nothing about it for like four months because I was terrified. You know, I had that inner, that inner dialogue, that inner critic, like, what are people going to think about me? What is this going to do for my brand? Are people going to think I'm whatever? Yeah. And I finally got over all of that and led a session, you know, my first session on a Thursday afternoon in the heavenly conference room, which I thought was quite auspicious. Um, you know, and that first time there was only one guy there <laughs> and, I'm, yeah. and I'm sure he was just as terrified as I was because I never saw him again, ah. but, but then there were three and then there were five and then it became a regular thing. And then I would get invited to do bigger things, you know, a marketing offsite with a few hundred people or a finance offsite where the CFO would have 400 finance people in town and invite me to kick it off with a meditation. And soon people just knew that I did it. And I raised my hand to be the executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. We, we didn't really have one. And so we created one with, with myself and other volunteers. And then for me, the tipping point was our CEO gave the commencement address at Wharton four years ago and talked about compassion, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to be successful in life or in business, you got to be compassionate. And he told his own story of transformation. And I thought, okay, it's time. It's time for me because I'd been in my ops role for a long time. I was ready to do something new. But it's also time for LinkedIn because essentially our CEO had told our about 15,000 employees that compassion was the most important thing that they could do. But what were we doing about it? Like, what does it even mean? What do they do when they go back to their desk? Right. And so I made a pitch to him and uh, together we created this role, Head of Mindfulness and Compassion Programs, where the vision is to change work from the inside out and the mission is by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. So that's how we got started. And I did that for a few years. And then during COVID, my COVID project was to write a book. And now, uh, and now I'm a free range chicken, you know, trying, with, trying to literally change work for three and a half billion of us, not just the 15,000 at LinkedIn. Which is amazing. It really is. So how were you able or were you able, I'm sure you were because you're corporate, you're corporate person. How were you able to measure the ROI on sure. that kind of thing? Sure. Well, let's separate the two things. So for mindfulness, and I think about it as like mental exercise, just like we have physical exercise. So first I often ask the question, like, why do you ask? <laughs> right? Because some things are so obvious, right? So like physical exercise, probably my friend who runs the gym does not get asked about the ROI True. because it's just so obvious, hmm. right? Hmm. It's, it's kind of like asking women about their work-life balance if they're a mother, right? We don't ask guys the same thing, but women get the question all the time yes. because it's, because why? Well, in the same way, people ask about mindfulness because they have, they're skeptical about it. And that's fine. Um, but it starts with, we know that in corporate America today, the most important asset is our people, mm -hmm. right? 
by far. A company like LinkedIn, we don't have hard products. We don't have a manufacturing line. We're selling data, which means by far our biggest asset is our people. Now, if we were running a manufacturing line and, and we were thinking of, about our big machine in the corner that was responsible for all of our output and was our most expensive machine, and it was over there smoking and plugging away at 60% of capacity, would we have any conversation about ROI, about whether to do maintenance on it or whether to fix it? No, of course, we would, we would just go do it. But we all know that during the pandemic and even way before that, our employees are struggling. They are not operating at 100%, right? 85% of American workers in the last two years have felt emotionally burned out. Um, the, the statistics just go on and on. 30% experiencing uh, anxiety or depression, one in nine. This is the most disturbing one. One in nine in the last 30 days seriously considered taking their own life. Yeah, I heard that. This, yes. is, this is data from the CDC. So how do we measure it? Well, first of all, there's just this knowingness that it's the right thing to do. And, okay, let's measure. So programs, there's already over 6,000 peer-reviewed scientific papers about the benefits of meditation. Mm -hmm. So things like reduction in stress, reduction in anxiety, increase in creativity, um, increase in quality of relationships, increase in quality of management. Now, in the work context, I try to make it simple. So I start with consumption. If I offer a program, do people use it? Do they come? And then two, customer satisfaction. Do they like it? And then over time, I think that we'll get to things like hardcore things like productivity. There's still work to be done in that area. But we have all this other data that says how powerful it is and how important it is. And for me, I like the stories. So I had a young... I totally like the stories. I love your stories. <laughs> so I had a young woman, uh, we'll call her Lisa. Um, I talked to her during the pandemic and she was thanking me for the programs that we were offering at LinkedIn. And Lisa is a young mom, two little kids at home, which meant she was the one doing the cooking and cleaning. She was the one doing the daycare when daycare was closed, the homeschooling. And she was a salesperson who had a big number at work, right? She was getting it all done. Or at least that was what was looking like on the surface. And she called to say thank you and to say, look, I'm a different person. Like I am screaming at my kids a lot less. And she laughed and I laughed, but it was that laugh where you know that they're kidding, but not kidding, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we have all been there. We have all been at the end of our rope. Um, and she went on to say, look, I'm just I'm a better version of myself. I'm better at work. I'm a better partner. I'm a way better mom. I'm better with myself. I'm just a better version of myself. And I was thinking, okay, that's, that's why we do this work, mm -hmm. right? Imagine back to my machine example, imagine if everyone could be a better version of themselves, 5% mm -hmm. or 20% or 30% better version, what would that be worth to a company? It'd be worth bazillions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So the ROI is tremendous because these things don't cost, they cost almost nothing. Right, right. That's, that's amazing. Um, one of the things that I wrote down from chapter six I have here that I find sometimes in this crazy world, because there's so much coming at us and, and, you know, it's a, uh, like an ADD kind of mentality these days. And you wrote, I wrote this down being fully present is twice as big of a factor in our happiness as the actual activities in our lives. Can you speak to that? Because I sure. know that to be true, 
And I have to remind myself to do that sometimes. Sure. Uh, I'm citing the work of Sonia Lubomirsky. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. She wrote a couple books on happiness. But the act of being present, just that act is so powerful, you know, even more so than the stuff. And if you take it up a higher level, our happiness is not based on what happens to us. It's based on how we respond to what happens to us, Mm -hmm. right? Good days or bad days. I mean, sometimes you can be in traffic and it's totally fine. And sometimes you can be in traffic and it makes you super frustrated or angry or worse. Uh, And so it's all about our response to it. And that starts, that response, that positive response starts with the act of being present. Mm. So true mindfulness, true mindfulness is seeing everything, all of it, 360 degrees without judgment. Mm. Mm, Because often what happens is we get fixated on a single negative thing, which I, I call pothole management, right? There can be a thousand miles of perfect road, but if there's one pothole, this is where we put our attention. It happens in our relationships, right? If you think about your partner or your kids or mom, it's that one thing they do that makes you insane. Yeah. But, and then we forget about the 99 things that they do that are great, that we love them for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. when we really see the whole picture and we're present to it, then we can decide how to respond instead of just reacting all the time. Now, this is probably out of... Uh context uh in the book but that makes me think of the other thing i wanted to have you share if you don't mind sure and that is um because you said we can choose we can choose we can it's first it's a perception then it's we have a choice how we deal with something and you told a, a great story of you as a um uh dad baseball coach mm, and the story yeah. of simon and i i just i loved that story because it, it it made, it made you stop. Right. Yeah. So can you speak to that? Sure. Well, when my son was little, I coached baseball for, I don't know, five or six, seven years. And I found myself one day leaving work at about three 30 or three 45 on a Tuesday. And I had a big job. There were people lined up waiting to see me. There was big customer stuff happening, but I, here I was leaving work. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated that I was leaving. I was, then I was in traffic and I was frustrated about the traffic. And I found my, my mind going dark, right? Like, why am I the one that has to do this? Why am I the one that has to get the field ready every time? Yeah. Why, why, you know, poor me. Right? Yes. And I realized that there were kind of two paths that I could go down. In this one path, I was going to continue this brewing, this dark brewing for 40 minutes in traffic, I would get to the ballpark, everything would go wrong, right? It was just like, I'd fling the door open my car and probably hit a post. You know, I'd try to get the lawnmower running and couldn't get it started. You know, the kids would arrive, I'd kind of be grouchy with them. The other parents and coaches would arrive, I'd be grouchy with them. You know, we had this kid, Simon, on our team who had, you know, he had some issues and I, I wouldn't notice him. And I would bark at him, you know, sending him into a bucket of tears. You know, he would, he would leave the game crying with his mom, you know, and that's fun, <laughs> fun yeah. in, in parentheses, right? Or I ask myself, what else is true? And I move away from the pothole to think about all of it, right? What else is true is 
I have a son. I always wanted a son, right? And baseball was my special thing as a kid. I love, 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 love baseball. I love coaching. I love everything about it. When I'm out there, I get to be 12 again, you know? And so if I spend 40 minutes in the car thinking about all the good things, about how grateful I am to be able to serve in this way, to be grateful for that I have a job that allows me to leave at 3.30 in the afternoon to do this in the first place, because not everybody has those things. And then I show up and I bounce out of the car, you know, and I, I get the lawnmower started because I remember the special trick it has to do. I drive it around and remember the times when I was on the farm as a kid and it reminds me of my own dad. And then when the other coaches arrive, I have just the right balance of kind of teasing them and like welcoming them. And when the kids arrive, we go to center field and sing a song that we all made up, you know, and we're just having a good time. Right. And in that moment, if I see Simon, you know, in the dugout being quiet, I'm able to be with him. I'm able to like get down on my knees in front of him and just really see him and acknowledge him, you know. And all of this, everything I do then impacts someone else. And this is the choice. So you can imagine the difference of the, you know, the radiation of darkness that I would have had in the first scenario or the radiation of light that I would have in the second scenario. We impact everyone around us. This is what I'm talking about. We change the world from the inside out. Mm -hmm. It starts with us. And that starting point is a choice. We choose how we respond to life. Yeah. That, and I just think that's such a great story because I think you said something like, you know, Simon, and it's, it's like from the mouths of babes, right? Come the answer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Now, um, uh, one last story and, and I love this story and I, I feel like I, I hope you'll share it with us, with my audience, because you shared it with me. And it's a story about the title of the book. Sure. Right. I, you yeah. cannot tell that story. It is so amazing. And it shows to me, you know, how intuitive you are and, you know, how that has grown from you as a, you know, when you didn't know you were what it was that you sure. were uh, sure. so intuitive. So yeah. On the front of the book is an orange rhinoceros. And first of all, I wanted something on the cover where people who were people would see it and go, wait, wait, what? Why, why is there an orange rhino on the front of this? What is this? And they would be curious enough to open it. And if they didn't care about it, well, the book's probably not for them. <laughs> right. yeah. So uh, a number of years ago, I was in this big operations job and my top person was leaving and I needed to replace him. And this is a really important job. It touched almost every area of the company. And I knew that this new hire, their success or failure was going to mean my success or failure, have a huge part in it. And we had this hurt, huge search crew um, who was on the interview committee, people who were senior vice presidents and country managers and business managers, really important people to me, really important people to the business. And we got down to the final two candidates and we had done everything we could. There was no more information to get. You know, we had been through eight rounds of interviews and exactly half of the team said, oh, for sure, it's candidate A, the external candidate. I, I really don't think the candidate B can do it. You know, And exactly half said, oh, for sure, it's candidate B, the internal candidate. I, look, I really don't think the first person could do it. And my whole life strategy has been around likability, has been around pleasing, has been around collaboration. 
And I found myself in this scenario where this is the biggest hire of my life and no, and I'm going to have to choose alone. And no matter what I choose, I'm going to potentially upset half of these really important people, right? That I need to have relationships with. So again, I was in contemplation one day, I kind of threw up my hands and said, I, I don't know what to do here. And I said, you know, I don't do this very often, but this time I want to sign. Like I want to sign from the universe, like a no doubt secret handshake, you know, only me to you sign. Yeah. And so I'm in contemplation. I think about the first person. She's an Indian woman. She has long black hair. And what comes to mind is this long, dark black hair tied in a bun, but then held together by a butterfly pin. <laughs> and instantly my mind is like, wait, wait, what? How am I going to see that? <laughs> okay, fine. Let it go. Let it go. And I thought about the second person and they have this work bag that's orange that they carry around. So I thought, okay, if, I, if it's I, the sign for this person is an orange, let's see, an orange um, rhinoceros. And, and again, my mind is like, what, what are you doing? Like, how is this going to happen? Okay, let it go. Because look, if I had said a, a silver Prius, you know, I'd see 20 of them before yes. noon. But yes. this, yeah. this was the secret handshake. And I let it go. <laughs> the next day, I take, we take our team to the movies, you know, one of the new Star Wars movies had come out. I'm hanging out on late Friday afternoon, just kind of letting the stress of the week relax. And across the screen in a preview for an animated movie, rambles an orange rhinoceros. I know. It's like, <laughs> so the mind instantly wants to get involved. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Was it, was that kind of like maroonish orange or was that really or like, no, stop it. And so I checked in, I closed my eyes and I kind of, cause this is real life. Like this is two people's real lives and my real life. Yes. You know, is it really person B, the person with the orange bag? And I thought about them in this role and it felt right. I felt the full body. Yes. When, you know, you just know. And I felt also this deep connection to whatever you want to call it, to the universe, to the divine. Cause I had asked and I had believed and I have been given, and then I acted on it. And I think that's how it works. Amen, right? I mean, really, <laughs> it's, but there, I always find there's, you know, there's people that, that I'm skeptical. So if I'm not a true believer, then it's maybe I don't attract what I need to attract or want to attract as easily. So yeah. I, that to me means I still have work to do, which is fine. Um, and yet that just seemed like, what you know and, and that it happened so thank you i just love that story so much. yeah my pleasure um so I tell that story and one of my friends said wow what a coincidence i went mm, <laughs> this story is not that. for you yeah <laughs> exactly now lat i know i could go on forever with you so i may have to have you back and i don't want to you know overstay my welcome uh here with you but do you see your children having any of that, uh, you know, uh, inner spirit that you have, that inner spiritual. Yeah. It's interesting. Look, each of us is on our own journey, yes. right? So, um, well, I say let's, so the answer is yes. And we'll see what happens as they get older. So they're 24 <laughs> and 19 and, you know, and, and almost every teenager uh, has to make their own mark, right? And rebel against the norm. Yeah. Not that we had big rebellion, but yeah. they're, they're their own person. Yeah. And so they interact with it in a different way, but they're definitely open and uh, 
Sure. Did they read your book? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I had I gave them the option of you know having their real names in there or obscuring some facts and names and. They wanted to be in it, so it's all good. Well, thank you so much for the time you spent. There's so many lessons in your book and in what you shared with us today. And uh, uh, please tell my audience where they can buy the book, where they can sure. find you, where they can, because I know you do, you have online courses, correct? You right. have. Um, yeah, so you can, you can find the book. It's called The Full Body Yes Everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, where books are sold. You can find more about me at scottshoot.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm doing keynote speeches and workshops and that sort of thing. But we're also doing some, we have some interesting kind of self-service products for managers coming. I'm really excited about that. Because when we talk about operationalizing compassion, mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. And not in a, in a weird kind of fringy way, but in mm -hmm. the center of the bullseye way that every team could, uh, could use to, to be more conscious and be and have more psychological safety with each other. So scottshoot.com, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. And thank you again for your time today. And to my audience, I'm, I know you're going to enjoy this one. So please let us know what your thoughts were. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share out this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.